Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am really delighted to have with me today, Ben Hips. Ben, welcome to my podcast. Thank you, Meredith. I'm glad we're finally doing this. I am too. (laughs) I'd like to tell our listeners first, Ben and I were introduced by a colleague on LinkedIn. That seems to be my go-to place for finding wonderful people. And I'm excited to have Ben with us today because he is an expert in an area that I know my listeners sometimes struggle with, which is sales. And Ben has spent his entire adult life, I believe, since college, right, Ben? Uh, I actually started the, about age nine. <laughs> in, in the sales profession, starting with the uh, insurance industry initially, right? Mm-hmm. And then the last 23 years in the PEO industry, which is professional employers organizations. And exactly. you've held various sales roles with those types of companies from a frontline salesperson to director of sales to vice president of sales. So you really know and understand this world of selling. And I'm particularly excited about what we're going to talk about today because it's getting into the buyer's mind, which we don't really think about probably as often as we could to become better at understanding their perspective, their needs, and really how their brain is working. So I'm looking forward to diving into that. Before we get to that point, though, tell us just a little bit about your journey. Oh, and I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that you are now having your own sales company, Keys to Selling, which really is for anyone, right, that's in the sales profession. So we'll talk more about that towards the end of the program about how folks can learn more about that. But initially, I'd like to um, maybe have you just give a little short description of how you came to this place of understanding this concept called neuromarketing in your own sales journey. Sure. Well, it, it really, I've got to start it with what I was before I learned this because I was, this was transformational for me. It, it completely changed how I approach selling. And in particular, as I grew in sales and, and you know, I experienced success, but I didn't realize what I was doing was not really the best way to go about selling. I I was a data guy. I was the guy that walked into a proposal meeting with a three inch binder full of data and backup and proof that what I was saying was true and giving examples and, and looking back on it, I feel sorry for my poor prospects and clients, but bless their hearts as we say in the South, what they bought for me anyway, in many cases. But um, I was a very data driven guy. And in about 2004, a company I was with set me up to work with a gentleman named Christoph Morin. And Christoph is the CEO and founder of a company called SalesBrain. And Christoph had worked with a a French scientist, Patrick 
or Renvoise, I hope I'm saying that right. And uh, Dr. Renvoise was the first person really credited with exploring this idea, to put it in his words, is there a buy button in the brain? And I found that a fascinating question. And so he went about his studies and um, came up with all sorts of analytical evidence that, that yes, there is. And you can use that to everyone's advantage, not just yours as a salesperson, but the, to help the buyer make better decisions as well. And so I spent a week with Christoph, and in that week, I was, I call myself a born-again salesperson because I was truly transformed from that guy that walked in with a three-inch binder full of data into a person who was trying to connect on a much more genuine, deeper level but connect to a, a, they call it old brain, I call it deep brain. So I, I call it a deep brain decision maker. The decision maker that makes decisions without us consciously knowing about it. And we all work this way. Um, so that was my introduction to it. And there was a lot more after that, but that's how I found out about this concept. Well, why don't you define it for us, and then we can talk about what does that really look like in action. So neuromarketing, the brain and marketing, tie those together for us. So the the idea is how are decisions really made? And what I thought back in my data days is decisions are made analytically. We look at data, we analyze it, and then we make decisions based on that analysis. But what I learned was Yes, data is part of the decision-making process, but it's really used in your brain to justify a decision that your brain has already made. Um, I'll give you an example. At sleep, your brain uses 90% of the energy it does when you're awake. So that would show that there's a lot going on that we're not aware of. And in fact, decisions are, are, are made on an emotional level. Again, this was a hard concept for me to get past. I was certain they were made based on data. But decisions are made on an emotional level. And if you consider that, emotions are not something we think about. They're they're deep within us and they come out based on the situation. So what that told me was, as I learned it was, yes, decisions are made emotionally and then they're justified later with data and facts. Um, So... Neuromarketing kind of boiled down is the study of how decisions are made and, and, and the premises that they're made emotionally. And as I said, later justified with facts. Mm-hmm. And so let's do talk about an example of how that might work. I'd love to hear more about um, what you did instead of carrying in those binders of material. Can you paint a picture for us with an example of a specific client and what happened as a result of taking that different approach. I I sure can. Um, I'll give you an example that, that happened to one of my trainees in neuromarketing. Um, And this was a neat story. I thought he was a guy about 48 years old. He was sort of that midlife crisis stage and he was going to go buy a sports car and he was looking at, all these coupes. He looked at an Audi coupe, a BMW coupe, and then he was last going to look at a Porsche Boxster coupe. And he told me this story after learning about neuromarketing. He said, Ben, it happened to me. And I was like, what? He said, I was car shopping. And I first test drove the BMW uh, Sportster coupe, whatever it was, nice car, loved it. 
I then tested the Audi TT, another great car. I uh, loved it. And then I went across the street to the Porsche dealer and I walked up on this beautiful black Porsche Boxster and I sat down in it and I looked at the, the logo in the middle of the steering wheel, that, that classic gold Porsche logo. I looked at the key on the left side of the wheel, which dates back to their racing heritage where the pit crew would want to lean in and turn the car on and off. And he said, as I sat there, I didn't know it yet, but the decision had been made. And I went and drove the car and I felt it and experienced it. And, and then I started to say in my head, you know, this car is a, a lot more, but I can just maybe stretch out my payments and um, uh, pay a little more per month and, and it's worth it. So long story short, what he said was, I realized as soon as I sat down in that car, the decision had been made. And I didn't know it consciously yet, but as I started to justify that decision by saying I can stretch out my payments or do whatever it took, he said, I realized it's exactly what we've been learning. And so how that applies to an actual sales call is, is when you meet with someone, you don't bombard them with data and facts and all that. You have a conversation and you explore their situation, you learn about it, and then you start to talk to them about things that are going to appeal to the emotions and, and the primary emotions in decision-making are, are and in part in this word, it sounds like a bad word, but it's just how the old brain works. Greed. Someone cares about what they can get or what's going to make them look good. Um, it, and then there's the pain fears, uh, fear of making a bad decision, fear of what will happen if I don't do this. Um, and another powerful emotion, anticipation, creating scenarios where they can start to anticipate what it's going to be like if they do this and making that a good thing for them using the, 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 the idea that greed and pain avoidance are huge drivers. So knowing that that's how people think you craft the conversation and the, in the, in the back and forth in that regard, knowing that deep, deep in their mind on, on the old brain, deep brain level, their decisions are going to be made based on those three, Three primary factors. There's others, but those are the three big ones. And so that's how you 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 run appointments and you you interact with people by knowing this is how the decision is going to be made. And I hope let's, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. Let's kind of dissect that though, because it is interesting how when someone hears the word greed, it conjures up negative associations yes what you but what we're really looking at there is what is it people really want to have right right. and so it it greed is just a word i what i want to do for our listeners is make it neutral because it's important to understand the real meaning behind it in terms of what you're looking for in a conversation that you're having with someone it's, it, it seems like what you're saying is finding out what's important to them. Yeah, yes. What they, what they are um, wanting to have and then combining that with avo- finding out what problem they're having that the pain they're experiencing they want to get rid of. Is that a good way to contrast those two? It, it is. It is. And, and you know, re- regarding the greed, it's understanding that, to the deep brain, it doesn't care about things like manners and um, things that we really care about on a conscious level. Describe what it was you were saying Chris Christoph was telling sure. you. Sure. 
Well, he, he was trying to help me understand, you know, I was having a trouble with this whole greed thing. I just didn't like the, the word, um, but he was trying to explain it's not about being a good or bad person. This is happening in a deep brain level, but the deep brain is only concerned with self-preservation, pain avoidance, greed, all that stuff. So he said, it's like when you drive by an accident and you see someone may have been injured on a conscious level, your heart goes out to the poor people and, and you hope everything's okay. But to your old brain, all it's thinking is glad it's not me. And it just helped me see that it's not about being a good or bad person. This is just, this is just the physiology of how the brain operates. And, mm -hmm. and it helped me understand that, okay, greed is not necessarily a bad word to use. It's just describing what is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think having that level of awareness without judging is is really important because you're listening for that so it was the greed the avoiding pain and what was the third element well, well it, it, there, there's pain avoidance um greed and anticipation. anticipation anticipation is incredibly powerful if you think about if you remember from this podcast the next commercial you watch on tv if you boil it down to what are they trying to do and it's, it's, they're trying to make you anticipate what it would be like to have or use that product or service. It, it's amazing. That's what it's all about. And once you know what to look for, you'll see it everywhere. So give us some examples of how in a conversation with a prospective client, you could um, introduce that concept of anticipation. What kinds of things would you say or ask? Sure, I'll give you a, a very real world example to me. And in, in the professional organization industry, we deal a lot with human resources and labor law compliance. And so when I explore a, the current situation with a client, the person that's responsible for that, you know, I'll ask them, do you, are you absolutely certain your company, or you're keeping your company 100% in compliance with all laws and regulations? And if I've built enough rapport and we're, we're at a place where the dialogue is getting really honest, most people will say, well, you know, it's kind of hard to keep up with everything, so I can't say 100%. And, and I'll, I'll drill down on that a little bit. It's like, so what is it that, that concerns you? Because now we're getting into the fear, and fear goes with pain. And I'll explore that. And once I drill down and to the point where I'm asking them, you know, gosh, that, how does it make you feel? And so now we've gotten really personal with the conversation. And once I get to that point, I say, well, look, with us, here's how it's going to be. You're going to rest well on your pillow at night because you're going to know this is being handled by experts who do it all day long. It's all they do, and, and they, they know how to do it right. And, and so it's, it's about drilling down on the pain to the point that it becomes very personal. How does this make you feel? And then when you're at that place where I promise you you have their full attention then you deliver the solution in a way that creates the anticipation. Wow, what would it be? They're thinking to themselves, what would it be like if I didn't have to worry about this stuff anymore? And so that's, that's kind of an example. Mm -hmm. That's really good because um, as I was listening to you, I thought, hmm, that to me what that would require is developing some trust early on for them to be willing to acknowledge those emotions they're they're having and absolutely 
And so let's back up then earlier in the conversation. What are some of the things you say or do that you feel are most effective at building up that level of trust? Well, that, that, I, I love that you opened that up and, and there, there's not enough time to really get into it because that's a big part of it. But there's so much you can do in preparation for an appointment and, and in starting the appointment to do just that. <clears throat> Excuse me, things like researching your prospect from Facebook to LinkedIn to every social media outlet you can find and learning about them. And walking into that meeting, I always have a pre-prepared folder with a pre-printed label with their company name on it. And when I open that folder up, they're going to see screenshots from their web page. And they're going to see that I've highlighted things of interest to me. And I'm going to start the meeting by asking them about the things that, that caught my eye about their company. And what, what I'm doing in, in, in doing all this preparation and coming in with a pre-prepared folder is sending the message, I value your time. And I'm a professional. And I've done my homework. And we're not going to have to waste a bunch of time. We're going to get right down to business. And then there's also, there's another study called neurolinguistic programming, kind of fancy language for something also referred to as matching and mirroring. You can interact with people in a way that you really are connecting with them by using similar words, similar posture, similar vocal uh, tones and cadence. And, and all these things together um, help put that prospect at ease, help them see you as a trustworthy professional uh, who they feel comfortable with. Um, in, a, in a presentation I did years ago, I was paid one of the nicest compliments I think I, I've ever heard, and I hope you don't mind me telling you the compliment. Someone walked up to me and, and said, Ben, you're easy to know. And I thought, wow, that's maybe the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me in a professional setting. But it that's what it's about, not being aloof, elusive, you know, uh, overconfident. It's about being genuine and being easy to know. And if they know you and they trust you, then you're a long way towards uh, towards winning their business if your solutions are fit. Oh, I love that phrase. Well, and it's so true because of our conversations, I have felt the same way. They've always been easy and comfortable and there's a honesty and genuineness. I think that we've both valued in each other in our exchanges Indeed. and that, that just opens the door for uh, being um, comfortable with someone and relaxing. It, it I think that's the key because in sales situations, both people often feel this pressure. You know, this yeah. person is going to be pushing me to do this and I've got to be prepared to say no. And, you know, there's <laughs> all this resistance. And so what you're describing is a way to help that person kind of go, oh, exactly. I can relax here with this individual. I don't have to be guarded and concerned about being manipulated. I think that's a key key element in the success of the process you're describing. Absolutely. And, and sales resistance and the adversarial dynamic that happens in a, a sales call, especially initially, is so real. And in trainings, I've, I've sometimes used the example of a car window. I said, think of it like they're sitting in their car with their finger on the window button. And you can do things to make that window go up, or make that window come down. Oh, I love and, that. <laughs> and, and it's always going up and down. It's almost never static. So 
you got to think about every single thing you do in that interaction. Am I making the window go down or up? And uh, that's what, what you just said is all about, that, that built-in resistance that you've got to overcome. I just thought of something else as I was listening to you that's a part of the dynamic that's going on. And I think it's that, that the buyer can sense when you are genuinely interested in them versus Indeed. focused on yourself. And I love the approach you just described of doing your homework because I think it's tempting to just want to wing it. You know, let's go in and see what happens or I can come up with the questions. But it communicates so much when you take the time to research someone um, before you meet with them. I know that it's been rare when I speak, for example, with a prospective guest on this show or someone that wants to talk to me about us working together, if they have gone and listened to a couple of episodes or, you know, watch some of our videos, that communicates a lot to me about <laughs> their commitment to being prepared. And Indeed. so um, I, with all of your years of experience, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that element, because I really think it, I think people underestimate its power not just in terms of what you learn, but what it says to the other person about who you are. You know, that's a great way to phrase it. And I've never phrased it that way. Um, helping you be more effective in that call by understanding their situation, their industry, really everything you can. Right down to if you know the person has, you know, children uh, or grandchildren in college, that's valuable knowledge. Um, in fact, I don't want to get too off track, but when I know, when I find out something about their personal life, I'm hoping I find out something that we have in common because mm -hmm. in that rapport building phase, I can say, you know, gosh, I, I noticed on your Facebook page, you've got some amazing uh, pictures of, of camping and hiking and, and I live in the mountains. That's my love. I love that. You know, tell me more about that. And then what you, what kind of things you like to do. Um, so that that's helping me connect with them and learn about them. Uh, having done that research, but it's also opening them up and helping them feel more comfortable because now we've connected on something outside of business. Um, you, you can't do too much research. So I research the person, I research their industry, I try to research their competitors. So I'd like to see what the competitive environment is. Um, anything that affects their, their ability to succeed and drive things forward, which again, gets back to, to greed. Uh, or pain avoidance. Um, the more I know, the more I can dive into areas that are going to get to that emotional place with them. So preparation, uh, I've always said, I, I may not be the, the most skilled or, or best looking sales guy in the world, but I'll out prepare anybody. And uh, so when I walk into a call, I'm ready. And, and it really, it just serves you so well to having done some homework. Well, the other thing that it does is it, it builds your confidence mm -hmm. because you're not, I would think anyway, you're not concerned about any question they might send to you because you, if you don't know it, uh, it's okay because you've got context for what they're asking about. And so it pays to be prepared with that background information wherever you might need it. 
Yeah, it's another great point, Meredith. Confidence, it's kind of like in public speaking. Um, I learned from Jeffrey Gittimer that, you know, if you're nervous about speaking in public, take the time to master the topic. He would always say, prepare beyond fear. And, and, and so that preparation absolutely gives you confidence. And the more prepared you are, the more confident you are. And, and again, not confident cocky, but confident, you know, feeling strong and, and ready to yeah. oh. So Well, and the other benefit of that to me, I can see it in myself when I'm doing something, is you convey that to someone without saying it. They absolutely. pick up on that. And therefore... I think it's directly related to the respect and the attention that you command from someone without requiring it. That's right. It's it, just it, your, your presence is communicating a lot. It, it, absolutely. And it, it does really come across uh, all on a almost subconscious level. Yes, they see you and they like what they see maybe, but uh, there's a lot more going on. Uh, beyond the conscious level in doing these things. And again, that gets back to neuromarketing, what it's all about, really truly connecting with someone and reaching them on a level that's going to help guide their decision making. And it's, I want to say this too. It's not about being manipulative. If you do this well. Yeah, talk to that. I think that's an important piece. You bet. It's, it's helping them make the best decision for them. You know, if they're feeling guarded and like you're going to try to slip something by on them and sell them without them knowing, you know, all that stuff, they're, they're probably not going to make the best decision because they're too focused on, on noise. Um, if you're able to get down to a really personal level and you do that by reaching them on an emotional level, it's the most effective way to do it, you're actually helping them as well. They're going to make decisions based on the right reasons, um, not on these analytical reasons that can be really muddied up by, you know, whatever's going on in their mind or, or you know, things that are uh, buzzing through their head on a conscious level. So let's take the situation where you've, you've addressed the agree, agreed in whatever way makes sense. Mm -hmm. You've identified the pain points and gotten them to talk about that. You're building this anticipation. Where do you go from there in terms of actually making the sale? So I always explain that the sale is made in the first appointment and, you know, a lot of folks traditionally think of in a complex sale, at least there's always going to be a discovery appointment or maybe appointments plural, and there's going to be a presentation. Um, people think, well, the sale is made in that big presentation. Actually, no. If you're following the principles of neuromarketing and, and asking questions like I described when I I talked about that HR scenario, you're going through and finding the areas of pain. In that case, it was, it was compliance. So once I drilled down on compliance, I found there's an issue. I found there's a little worry there. I drilled down on it. I, I get personal. How does that make you feel? Um, and then you're going you're gonna to like what you're about to hear because you're not going to have to worry about that anymore. And here's why. And then I deliver my solution. If I can do that in three or four areas of their business, then that's when I've made the sale. When, when I create the feeling of, you know, they trust what I'm saying, they see how it would benefit them, they see how they would gain, they see how they would avoid pain, and I do that several times, when I come back for the presentation, I'm really just summarizing everything we went over, restating the solutions, 
and saying um, you, you, at that point, um, you know, what was the next step? You know, that's another interesting part of sales, the close. People think the close is this big deal. It shouldn't be. It should be something as simple as asking someone, um, what's next? Or what do you see as the next step? Or, or would you like to move forward? Uh, just an honest question, not some manipulative alternate choice clothes or puppy dog clothes or all that stuff from the 80s that I hope no one does anymore. <laughs> well, I really like that because I think this is where, because I've worked with coaches and consultants in particular for more than 20 years now, and I mm -hmm. have heard this from many of them that, that, um, emotional time when they've done this presentation they've had the um, opportunity to really show how what they have to offer connects with this person and i'm with you i don't like the word close the sale to me it's opening the business Ooh, well, <laughs> is, well said. is another way to put that um but there's that discomfort with asking the question. Mm -hmm. And so I was curious if you, in the sales trainings that you're doing, if you have salespeople who have that kind of knot in the stomach or angst, what do you recommend they do to relax and not get so uptight over, over that particular moment? Yeah, sure. I, it, it goes back to what we were saying earlier, prepare beyond fear. If you have fear and concern or not in your stomach when it comes time to ask that final question, and you're never going to eliminate 100% of it because that is an important moment, but if you've done your homework and you've come in and run that first appointment properly and, and done the discovery where you drill down and deliver solutions and create anticipation, the better you do that, the more comfortable you're going to be when you come to asking that final question. What do you feel is the next step? Um, it's, it's really all about that because if you, if, if you found genuine pain and you are able to deliver genuine solutions, you're going to feel in your heart, this is the best thing for them. And, and you'll almost be anxious to ask for the business because you know, they need this. And, and so it, it really does. The, the better you do in the front end of the process, the easier the back end is. That's great. Well, let's talk about the sales training you do for a minute from this perspective. What are some of the habits that you see sales folks having that you feel you have to break them of? You just mentioned, you know, these closes that they might have learned years ago. But what are some other habits that or mindsets even that you find you have to help them work through to get rid of so they can replace it with the approach you recommend? Yeah, it's really interesting because there are a number of them and we all have them. I mean, to some degree, we all have things that, that hinder our, our absolute effectiveness, but the most common ones I see are someone is, is just too focused on what they have to say that they, they can't stop talking. And I've always tried to tell salespeople, sales folks that talk too much in an appointment are typically nervous and underprepared. And they use that constant stream of never ending words to sort of hide from the pauses and, and allowing the prospect to talk. It, it, it's, it's really hard to watch. And I've seen it a bunch. Um, 
I think another one is just being too focused on a process. You know, I train salespeople. I actually give them a very, very detailed process, a structure of, of a sales call and, and closing meetings and all those things. But I tell them, this process is only good if you've mastered it to the point that you don't even have to think about it. If you're thinking about a process, um, well, Ben said I should be at this point uh, saying this or doing No, you're not being you anymore. You've got to be you first and work what I teach them into being them uh, along the way. And so that gets back to practice and preparation. I'm a huge fan of salespeople practicing, doing role plays, videoing, taping themselves, videotaping, I'm dating myself. Um, but really practicing and mastering the process so it does become second nature. People that seem like they're working a script or working a process, that they're, that window's going up. It's just going to create uh, a barrier instead of a connection. Mm-hmm. So those are probably the biggest two. Uh, talking too much and being, um, uh, well, just exactly what I just said. The first one you mentioned, uh, let's explore that a little bit because I've seen that too, not just in sales situations, but social situations where Indeed. the lack of awareness, I think, is, is a biggie there, where they're focused more on themselves than on that other person. And I remember, I don't remember who taught this to me, but it's an image that I've held which is imagine a spotlight when you're talking to someone and whoever is talking, the spotlight is on. So how much is the spotlight on you during that conversation <laughs> with a prospective client versus um, someone else? So just that simple question, where is the spotlight? You know, to ask yourself to be aware of, hmm, am I, have I not taken a breath here for several minutes and the poor person is, and paying attention to their body language too. Are they really engaged with you or are they starting to drift because you're not addressing those areas that you've pointed out are so key to really right. getting them connecting with you? Indeed. And and I'm going to steal that. Where's the spotlight? Oh, please. That's why I shared it. I thought you could use (laughs) that. that. Feel free. Yeah. Well, you do see, you see it in the social situations, you know, interfamily dynamics, intrafamily dynamics. That is, that's everywhere. And you're so right. People, they get so caught up in, in loving the sound of their own voice. Um, And they really do. They like to use big words and, acronyms, all things I, I tell salespeople, don't do it. You know, don't try to impress your, your prospect with your language um, or your fancy acronyms that you can drop into the conversation. All that stuff, it, you know, makes the window go up. Um, people really, image. people have to stop and think about, well, I'll give you an example. And I heard this many, many years ago, and it really stuck with me, and I do it to this day. I remember saying, greeting someone. I, I didn't know them. And uh, I said, uh, you know, whatever their name was, hey, so how are you doing? And they responded with, and the voice inflection was everything here. I'm great. How are you doing? And the way they said that with elevating the you, it's like, it's not about me. How are you doing? Um, just that one little thing 
stuck with me forever. And, and I try to do it to this day because it reminds me, it's not, this is not about me. It's how are they doing? Or I want to know about them. Um, it's just one little example of what really we should try to do throughout the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about them. Which goes back to really asking good questions that draw them out and let them know you're genuinely interested in learning about them, what they're dealing with every day in their work. So to me, the listening skills ties in in a very important way with this whole idea of not talking too much. They're hand in hand. Yeah. And if you're, if you're really, really well prepared and you've done that homework we talked about, it's a lot easier to do that. It's a lot easier to ask really great questions that, that, you know, really tap into their feelings and they just explode with a response and really get go on and on because you've asked the right kind of question. You've asked a question that's well informed and, and lets them know that, you know, you're, you're here to help and, and you care about situation. Um, again, preparation, the better prepared we are, the easier everything's going to be. Uh, asking questions is just another example. Well, and you know what you're getting at there, just I, it's been kind of in the back of my mind as we've been talking is this whole idea of really not having competition because no one else does that. You're they so right. just don't do that. I've got something else for you to add to your, your class that I read in a book called The Prosperous Coach. Okay. In, in terms of having it in your mind when you go into a sales conversation, um, and it's this, how can I serve this person so powerfully that they never forget our conversation for the rest of their life? Oh my goodness. That's fantastic. Isn't it great? Because how great. can you be talking about yourself if that's your goal? Because nobody's wow. going to remember a conversation where you've been touting yourself or your product. <laughs> you know, the, the approach you're describing to me fills the, the, the goal of that question. That's because a, you demonstrate to them, I'm interested in you through the right. presentation or the preparation you've done, the questions you ask, and then the way you guide them, as you said, in a non-manipulative way to right. seeing that your solution can answer the mail for them on the greed side, as well as the mm-hmm. pain side. That's, that's right. And, and, you know, we have to remember, we have to pay for the sins of every crummy salesperson that's come before us. And I don't mean to disparage salespeople. I'm one of them. But the fact is, you're right, Meredith. There's a lot of not so great salespeople out there. And they use tricks and manipulation. And they are, you know, overconfident and haughty. And, you know, things that make buyers more calloused and more resistant to just being open and, and honest. Um, so we don't just have to overcome our own um, our, our own challenge in winning that person's trust and attention, but we have to, you know, get past all the bad interactions they've had uh, before our appointment, because that's, that's all they know. The, you know, the some experience that they've had to the point of meeting you is, is how they're going to treat you going in. So uh, we can't blame them for having some of that resistance. It's not, it's not all their fault. They've unfortunately met with some not so great sales folks. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I know we're running close on time, but I, it just triggered another question. What do you do up front before you ever have that first appointment to set the stage for you to not be one of those typical salespeople they've dealt with in the past? Is there some uh, something in the initial conversation where you set the appointment or any other things that you do to set the stage for it to go well? Yeah, so it, it all depends on the situation, the person, what I find out about them. Um, when the appointment is set, first off, and this gets even further back into the, the, the origins of the process, I try to go into meetings where I've been referred by someone they already know and trust. So that's one of the greatest first steps you can make is, is not to be cold calling someone, but to have built your network to a point and, and worked on connecting with people on getting your name out, all these things that lead up to warm referrals. So being referred in is the first and best thing you can do to overcome a lot of that stuff. But then, you know, I may decide, depending on the situation, um, I might send them a thank you card before the meeting. Um, who gets cards anymore? You know, nobody. It's old school, but now old school stands out. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about neuromarketing and, and learning about old brain is it it responds to contrast. The stronger the contrast, the more the deep brain decision-making is activated. Um, lack of contrast is just lost in the blur, but something that stands in stark contrast by getting a handwritten thank you note before the meeting um, is one of a thousand, thousand little things you can do, but in the right setting, that can be really powerful. Um, and again, also all the preparation things that we talked about, uh, doing your research, doing your homework, coming in prepared, uh, all those things uh, are, are going to help you demonstrate who you are and what you're about. And also the, the, the dynamic of, you know, the, the matching and mirroring and, and trying to connect with this person on a, on a sort of subconscious level, all those things, all those things help. And, you know, we're, we're at the tip of the iceberg here. There's so much underneath uh, the surface here that, um, uh, it, it's just fascinating. And people that want to explore neuromarketing, um, can I recommend a book? Please. Uh, the Persuasion Code by Christoph Morin. Just go to Amazon, The Persuasion Code. Uh, it's his latest book, his first book um, called Neuromarketing. She got a copy of it here in my lap. Gr good book too, but way too technical. So The Persuasion Code is a much friendlier read. Um, if anyone is interested in, in learning about this concept, that's the best place to start, other than calling me. Yes, and that leads me to, um, in our wrap-up, let people know how can they connect with you and learn more about your services and what you do. You bet. Well, thank you. Well, the easiest way is to go to keys2selling.com. That's K-E-Y-S, numeral 2, selling.com. That's my website. I've got... Uh, uh, a lot of content there. My, my blog, Keys to Selling, uh, is also available. And then uh, visit me on LinkedIn. Love to connect with anyone who's interested in this. Uh, I love to mentor and help people. I don't always send a bill. I just often like doing it. Um, so anyone who's interested in learning more about this, I, I'm. Uh, it's one of the most fun things I do is introduce this concept to people. That's great. Well, Ben, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to get to have this discussion since I thank work you. every day in marketing and sales. It's one of my favorite topics, and I really uh, admire the approach you've taken 
to incorporate these concepts into what you're now teaching other salespeople to do and use. So I appreciate you. And we will put Ben's website, we'll put the um, a link to that book on Amazon also on our show notes page. Um, but if you want to Thank look you. up Ben on LinkedIn, it's Ben and Hips, H-I-P-P-S. So Ben, thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate all the valuable information you've shared. Thank you, Meredith. My pleasure. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, Grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.